Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, we welcome you in the name of Jesus. If you're here for the very first time, we're so glad that you came. We have a special treat not only for you, but for everybody. Pastor John Nuzo, the uh, the pastor of Victory Family Church in Cranberry Township is going to be preaching this morning. And if you're uh, fairly new here, you might wonder, what does Pastor John Nuzo and his wife Michelle and Victory Family Church have to do with new life? And the answer would be, short answer, everything. Um, John has walked alongside of us uh, since before New Life began. I've known John uh, actually two years before New Life started, 18 years. He and I were in a pastor's group. I was invited to attend and really was transformational in my life as long as it lasted until a few years ago. Um, but Pastor John uh, spoke at our first leaders retreat back in 2001. And back in 2014, Pastor John came alongside of us again for a three-day uh, planning retreat for the, the church leadership to talk about our next steps as a church. We were at about 500 and some in worship at that time, and we're looking at how God would use us to reach more people in our region. And he, uh, after three days, uh, helped us to see that we had three uh, roadblocks, if you will, to growth. And they don't sound sexy when I say them, but they were roadblocks. And, and we've gotten rid of two of them, and we're just about ready to get rid of the third. The first was our board structure, so we changed that. Uh, policies and procedures that we could pass on to the next generation of leadership, which is very important, um, and it's now done. And then the third one is building the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center, which is probably going to be starting very soon. I hope to give you an update on that uh, maybe as early as Easter. But anyway, that's, uh, those three things uh, have helped us to move to the point where now we're averaging about 850 people a weekend, and we're moving towards that 1,000 barrier in attendance. But Pastor John and his wife, Michelle, and Victory, they have a vision that is so big. Uh, and that vision for these next 13 years started two years ago. So for 15 years, John and Michelle felt called to help 300 churches in the Northeast uh, double their effectiveness, double their attendance on the weekends, and to double their impact in their communities. And we're one of those churches uh, that John and Michelle and Victory have come alongside. And so uh, at this time, John, would you come up? I want to pray for you before we get started. Last thing, John's on our board. He's on the board of directors. So um, it's the first time he's been able, ever able to preach uh, here at New Life, and we're so glad that he's with us. So let's pray together. Yeah. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our brother John. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit right now, that the words he speak will glorify you and that will challenge us to follow your son Jesus effectively. God, open our hearts, open our spirits, um, that we might receive this word and might live it out in, in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Chris. You know, it's, uh, it really is a, such an honor to get to be with you all. And uh, I, uh, I jokingly say, you know, what our, our, our mission, part of beyond the walls of our church, is to serve churches in our region. And for the most part, uh, the pastors, their roadblocks are just developmental for them personally. But I have to tell you, coming alongside your pastor, uh, I like to say it this way, it's kind of like being Ben Roethlisberger's foot, uh, quarterback coach. You know, it's just... You know, you can give him a few tweaks here and there, but I can't throw the ball like he can. But, uh, but all I can tell you is that uh, it, it's been such an honor to know Chris and Nancy these many, many years. And uh, today I want to talk to you about following Jesus and how it applies in real life in everyday decisions. You know, through the years, and I don't mean once or twice, maybe the most predominant question I'm asked 
is how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what I'm meant to do with my life? Because we all know that the scripture gives us the general and revealed will of God. It's the same for everybody. And yet, the most common question I'm asked typically is, how do I know God's plan for my individual life? How do I know how to have lived my life in a way where I fulfilled God's personal plan for me because he's my father and he has a plan for me? And I would suggest to you, and sadly, I would tell you that in 30-plus years of ministry, I would tell you that maybe, maybe, maybe 5 10% of people that I know as believers are living out the full plan of God for their life. Now, that's not because they don't want it. It's not because they're not good people. I don't know if, if you've ever had any issues, and anybody have any issues? Okay. And, and, and if you're here and you say, I have no issues, well, that's your issue. Okay, that's called denial. And uh, it's, it's just we can pretend that we're in Florida for you, okay? So, but here's the reality. None of us end up with the lives sometimes that we end up with when they're in, in, in the ways that we don't want to live. Things happening in our everyday life, we think, man, I don't, I don't want to live this way. But I don't, I don't know the way forward. Following Jesus is a very general term, but I want to break it down today to something that can appeal and affect your everyday life. I've learned that if what you learn about God doesn't impact the way you live every day, then it's just religion. And uh, now, I don't have anything against the, the way I was raised, meaning I was raised as a Catholic kid, and, uh, and that's no offense to my background, I was taught a great reverence for God as a Catholic boy, but I was never taught the Bible. In fact, um, I honestly, and this is sincere, I, I, I thought God was not very good. I thought, in fact, if God was going to get close to me, he was probably going to damage me. And uh, my background, in a sense, as you can tell, I'm Swedish. And uh, <laughs> as an Italian, uh, and this is, this, is, this, is a, this is really the truth. I would have seen... God more like the Godfather than the Father God. And that's true. I saw him more as a punisher than a lover. I saw him more as one who would get even with me than a rescuer. And so I, I didn't really intend to do this last night, but since I did it last night at 9 o'clock, I thought it would be good for you to hear how I heard God in my heart from the perspective of the Godfather. And it was something like this. Uh, John, come here. I want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm not happy with you. I've watched your life, and I'm very disappointed. And so I have an angel here. He's going to come. He's going to visit you, and then you will fear me, and then you will serve me because I'm going to make you pay. That's how I saw God. No, I did. I saw him like this, this kind of, I, I, here's what I thought about God. He knew I was stupid, messed up, and sinful when I told him. How many of you know God doesn't find out you're messed up when you tell him? But that's how I saw God. So it caused me to push away from it. You can't follow somebody that you think wants to hurt you. I would suggest to you that most people see God as an abusive parent. I don't know if you've ever been around children that have been abused. Hopefully you haven't. And I pray you haven't been one. But there, I know that with the percentages, there are people sitting in this room right now, you've suffered those things. And it's horrible. And if you're around a child that's grow, raised in a loving home, and I'm Italian, so we, we, I love to hug my kids, and I hug your kids. I just squeeze kids. I, it's painful sometimes. I just, Italian, we, how many of you have a, a, enough ethnic, ethnicity in you that you actually bite children? <laughs> Is there anybody that's no, you never bit a child, you're like, what in the world's wrong? How many of you just, yeah, you just have to bite them? Anybody ever know the bite feel? Okay, it's, I'm sorry, it's an ethnic weakness. It's, it's okay, but 
But, but man, I, 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 I love kids. And, and yet, I, I didn't know that, that the Father loved me. And it, it was such a, 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 a difficulty for me to, to really want to follow him. And what it resulted in for me is that until you know someone loves you, you never, you're not going to choose to follow them. And as I said, most kids, that are, have you ever been around a child that's been abused? And you'll go to maybe just, just kind of put your arms toward them and, the, and they'll cower in fear. That's how I saw God. I'm not saying anybody purposefully painted him that way to me. But I didn't know about the goodness of God. I didn't know about the love and mercy of God. I didn't know how much God loved humanity. I didn't know that Jesus said I did not come into the world to condemn it. But that the world through me might have life. I thought God was just counting my sins and just waiting. I didn't realize he'd paid the debt for those sins. I didn't realize that his love is what compelled him to do it. I want to read to you out of scripture a place. It's kind of confusing when I read this through the years. And if you ever read parts of the Bible and you think, that, you know, Jesus, I understand you were saying something here, but I really don't get what, why would you, that's just a little bit harsh. And, and this is one such scripture that people struggle with. And hopefully today, this can apply to the way you live your everyday life. Let me read it to you out of Luke chapter 9. You can follow when your Bibles are up on the screen. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know, I read that and I thought, well, you know, honor your father and mother's in the Bible. There's like a list of 10 I know it made. Commandments, right? You know, there's only two institutions God's placed his eternal approval upon, the family and the church. And the family was first. And yet here, here are these these people saying they wanted to do something very reasonable. You know, my father, I was very close to my dad, and he passed away, and, and I don't know whether this dad had actually died or he was saying, wait till my father dies. I don't know the exact truth, but all I know is this, that I love my dad, and if somebody would have said to me, you can't be a part of your dad's burial, I would have said, man, you're, you're cruel. Is it really unreasonable to go say goodbye? Jesus, what's the deal? I mean, here, here you find him finding a woman taken in the act of adultery. He restores her, loves her. She didn't even ask for forgiveness. And he said, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. And here's a guy that wants to go bury his dad, and you're like, you're not fit. I'm thinking, well, that's a little skewed to me. And yet, there's a key here. The one simple word that both men, both individuals used that, that, that tweaked something in Jesus they used the word first. They said, Lord, let me do this first, and then I'll follow you. You see, there's something in Scripture that's known as the principle of first. The Bible says God is preeminent in all things, which means he's first. The fact of it is God can't be second. He's God. But what they said was not unreasonable. Was not the request that was unreasonable. It was the priority and the order. They said, now remember, they're talking to God in the flesh, 
This is Jesus, the Son of God, the, the, the God-man, the incarnate Son of God. They're standing in front of God in the flesh, and they said, I will follow you, but first. In other words, there's something above you. And that simple principle of what comes first in your life will help shift the way you process your life. When God is first in everyday life, it literally changes the filter through which you make decisions. The outcome of a great life and a mediocre life and a poor life is usually kind of wrapped in one simple word, decisions. I've never seen anybody on their wedding day get married and look at each other and say, I do, I do, I do, leave, and they don't, they don't, they don't, and want to kill each other in five years. I've never seen anybody get married say, I promise to love you, and then someday I'm going to want to kill you. Nobody intends for their life to go in that direction. Yet they do. The principle of first. And when you understand that God wants, he, he demands to be first. Jesus said it this way. Seek, in Matthew chapter 6, he said, seek first. Everyone say first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the things he was referring to were the, 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 you know, the necessities of life. Income, resource, food, clothing, all the stuff you need. You go to work on Monday morning to, 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 to pay for. It's not that they're unimportant. Jesus said, but don't put it first. It's why when you talk about tithing in church, the room gets tight. Tithing means that a dime of every dollar you, uh, you, you, you make belongs to God. In fact, tithing isn't even giving. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It already belongs to God. All tithing is is not stealing. That, thank you for that. That was felt that through the room. <laughs> listen, listen. If if I came and took twenty bucks out of your wallet, didn't belong to me, would I be stealing? Well, if the tithe belongs to God and I don't steward it, then I kept it. Now you say, well, is this going to be one of those messages about money? Absolutely not. This is not about money. In fact, tithing is not about money. Tithing is about the principle of first. That's why Jesus spoke more about money than he did any other subject. Because where your treasure is, your heart is also. But the tithe, he said, belonged to God. But there's a reason why people won't do it. Because they think it will harm them. In fact, I said this to our church. I said, here's how I could empty our church in half in 10 weeks. I said, I'll do a 10-week series on tithing. And you'll empty the room. But let me tell you why. Not because there aren't good people in the room. Now, there are some people that would be like, you know what, I'm not going to come and hear somebody tell me all that money, church, money, churches, money, money, church, church, money. And they're pretty cynical. And it's not that they maybe haven't seen some things that give them reason to feel cynical or act cynically. But for the most part, can I tell you what most people will feel? Man, I'm so underwater already. The last thing I can do is give God 10% of my money. Good Lord, I'm already drowning. I might as well just, just sink and... Just, just go ahead and suck the water in and die. I can't afford to do that. So they're basically saying, look, I don't need to come to the church for 10 weeks and feel lousy about myself. I do that without church. And they'll push back from, from that subject because it makes them feel bad. But it has nothing to do with money. Absolutely nothing. It has to do with what you believe about God. Because at the end of the day, we don't follow someone who we believe doesn't love us. So anytime I don't put God first in an area in my life, it, it reveals a lie that I believe in my heart. 
Honoring and obeying God is to my detriment, not to my gain. In fact, the lordship of Jesus is the lordship of love. And he'll lead you nowhere that love wouldn't lead you. But how do I get from the point of knowing that that's true, hearing you talk about it, to where I can begin to prioritize my life and love what God loves and have a passion for what God has a passion for and put first in my life what God says comes first. In, in, in the scripture I want to take you to now is about a man that's known as the rich young ruler. That's kind of the trifecta, right? He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. It's what most people are, are, are killing each other for. It's what most people are, are beating down each other's. That's why they, they break the rules and they, do, they, want to, they want to be in power. They want to be wealthy. And people want to be young so much today as, man, people are trying to do everything they can to stay young. Really, and nothing wrong with trying to take care of yourself. But, you know, you can, you can do all you want, and you can, you can add stuff, cut stuff away. You, you know, you can, you know, if you're like me, you know, you, the shingles kind of go back a little bit. You can get shingles from here and put them in here. But you're still old as dirt. <laughs> you can't stop the process of age. And yet, you know, people, you, every, you didn't go back five generations, three, four generations ago, and people said, you know, 50's a new 30. It just means I hate getting older. I'm going to pretend I'm 30. You're still 50. <laughs> Won't be long. We'll be saying our generation and, and the baby boomers and all the like will be saying, you know, 90's the new 70. <laughs> I want to read you what happened to the rich young ruler and how this applies to how you process, listen to me, how you process your life in the love of a father. In Mark 10, verse 17, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, and he, and he fell on his knees before him, and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, give, bear false witness, defraud, and honor your father and mother. And teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Now listen to verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want you to get that. This isn't Jesus trying to trap this guy into doing something that's going to ruin his life. He, he looked at him, listen to me, and he loved him. So what he's saying is now from the heart of the love of God. And listen to what his command was to this gentleman. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's a gentleman that Jesus gave him instruction. Jesus told him what he wanted him to do. Jesus, in fact, said that the scripture said he loved him and invited him to follow him. I want you to understand what this man had been given the opportunity to do. The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, the, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the ancient of days, looked him eyeball to eyeball and said, come and follow me. Think of the invitation. Now, we all know what happened to Judas, and he was replaced in the book of Acts in the early First chapter, or so the book, first chapter, or so the book of Acts. Is it not? Is it possible that this man could have been his replacement? Is it possible that today there could be a pillar in heaven, eternally named after this man? We don't even know whether he's in heaven or not, because he had great wealth. I have a question for you today. Is he rich today? Is he young? 
And is he your ruler? No. What happened to that money? Do you see how easy it is? And it's easy to criticize this guy, but I don't know if you've ever thought about walking away from everything you have and own and then the next day have nothing. That's not an easy decision to make. But the only thing that would give him the, the capacity to do it, Jesus gave him when he said he looked at him and he loved him. That means there was something Jesus did that was evident to everybody there, that he loved this man. And yet this man chose to trust his wealth more than he trusted the love of the Father. And he went away sad. You know, when I look at what's happened here at New Life, let me give you an example of this. Your pastors, Chris and Nancy, are, are, have been friends of ours for years, and, and, and I was, I was, we were friends before this church ever began. And I remember when, in our, in our meetings, when we got together as a group of pastors, the denomination that Pastor Chris was a part of began to demand that he believe something the Bible forbade and actually began to pressure those in the denomination to hold a view that is against God. And because he put Christ first in his life, he made a decision that most people would think, how could anyone do that? Let me tell you something about when, when, when Jesus is first in your life. It already sets in stone decisions that you will make. They, they don't even become options. The reason most people struggle to make great decisions is they wait until the time of pressure to choose. Great decisions are made prior to the pressure. Great decisions are birthed in a believer's life when they say God is first. And so when a denomination said, you must do this and you must put God second, he left. He, left his, he was a, a very successful pastor. He left his job. He left his income. He left his pension. Now, and I say this not to puff him up, but you know, everybody needs a savior, right? So everybody's broken and needs a savior. But I got to tell you, he's a pretty sharp guy. He's a really smart guy. And he could have kind of parlayed that success and that wisdom and that, and that capacity to go make money. He's a smart guy. Now, there's a thing, you know, look, if you're not real smart, hang out with smart people. You'll look smart to others. If you're a little chunky, hang out with chunkier people. You'll look skinny. He said, what do you mean, fluffy, chunky? Some of you all are just skinny. And in heaven, you're going to be fat, 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 at least for a couple thousand years so you know what it felt like. Because there are some of us in this room right now, we're waiting to get home to put on clothes that move. And some of you are like, what, what does that mean? None of your business. Just forget about it. But here's what happened. He walked from everything. I'm done. I have to leave this. He lost his income overnight. He was in his early 40s. This church next weekend will be 16 years old. And he walked away from everything. And when he walked, he didn't know what his next step was. He had no idea what he was going to do next. None. I remember he told us. But his first decision to leave had nothing to do with what he had or didn't have, what would happen, good or bad. He made a decision to follow Jesus. And when somebody said, you don't put him first, he said, you don't get to choose that for me. And he walked away from what most people would never consider leaving. So when you look at somebody doing that, you might think, well, you know, he's a pastor and God gives, you know, pastors extra, you know, like uh, spiritual angel dust juice or something. No, you don't get that. We all live the same way as believers. 
no matter what your role in the, in the kingdom is. And then he said something that I have to be honest with. I've got to be honest. When he said what he was going to do next, I thought, well, okay. He said, I believe God's called me to start a church in Saxonburg. Not listen, Saxonburg is a beautiful town. This place is just, I mean, it looks like a postcard when you drive through here. It's beautiful. These rolling hills, it's gorgeous. But, you know, someone in their mid-40s who's in the meat of their career and the sweet spot of their life who could, be, could go to a place with just a little bit more people than Saxonburg and start a church. Because if you're going to start a church, you typically want to go, I don't know, where there are, are um, people <laughs> in greater numbers. And yet, I look at what God has done in 16 years, and all of you have your different fields that you work in, and, 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 and you know the areas in which you work and the, and the, and the structures behind them and some of the, 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 the statistics. I know the church world. And the way you judge the size and impact of a church is not just by its mere sheer numbers, but those numbers compared to the population within a certain circle of that church. Well, you put that circle around this church, and it ain't a whole bunch of folks. So why would you do that? Why would you, number one, quit your job, walk away from your income, and then go start a church in Saxonburg? <laughs> I, I don't know if y'all ever saw the first building they started in. I was there at the first service. I can tell you, GPS cannot find that place. <laughs> they need to parachute you in. And it was in the middle of nowhere. In fact, you go to the middle of nowhere, you turn left and keep driving, and you will find it eventually. Why? And then they moved into a school, and then bought the property, then built this building, and now next weekend or so, the, the balconies, you, you have this building, now the balcony's going to be open, putting more people into this building. You're going to build space for kids. How did God do all this in Saxonburg? You see, well, man, he must really love Chris and Nancy. Sure he does. But Jesus didn't do this because of his love for them. He did this for his love for you. Because it was in the heart of God that a thriving, life-giving church would, 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 would emerge. And this isn't the only one in this region, in this area. So I'm not saying it's better than any. That, I'm, that's, there's no betters. It's just a great God, not great people. But God's done something amazing here. And many of you sitting here today, your life's been changed because somebody chose to put God first in their life. A couple said yes to Jesus, and when the hard choices came, they had already made them. Your takeaway question I'd like you to leave with today is where have you doubted God's love for you that you said no to him in putting him first because you think it would harm you? Maybe you're married and, and your marriage is struggling. Maybe, you know, you... You look at each other and you've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, whoa. That love and feeling. And your marriage counseling consists of two lists of why I hate you and why I hate me and why you hate me and why I hate you. And this is my list. If you change, I'll like you again. If you change, and you basically get into a deadlock of selfishness. And yet God said, if you put me first, here's how you do marriage. Husband, Put everything in your life, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Put her first in everything. Lay down your life for her, period. Just go do it. Well, Lord, I, I can't do that. Why? Well, because I don't even like her. 
I didn't ask you if you like her. I said, go do it and love her like I loved you without any strings attached. And then he, then he looks at the, the wife and he said, oh, and by the way, I want you to respect him. Respect him. Are you, have you met him? You want me to treat him respectfully? Oh, yes. And I want you to yield you, yourself to him. What, what's that mean? <laughs> You're out of your mind. You think that's happening? Mm-mm. No, no, no. That faucet is shut down, sweetheart. That's gone. There's 17 things you've got to click off the list before that door opens again. That door shut, sweetheart. So what we believe is that by doing it his way, that we'll be harmed. And it's just the opposite. I've tried to get couples in trouble to do it for a week. I said, I'll tell you what, divorce is permanent. It's so expensive. Why don't you all do an experiment for me for seven days? Seven days. And just try it. Sir, and I gave him, just sit. I don't want you to ask for one thing from your wife for seven days. Next seven days, all I want you to do is think and dream about what she needs done. Do it and serve her unequivocally, whether she ever says boo to you. I look at her and said, ma'am, I want you to be kind to him and respect him and speak well of him and speak no harsh words to him and, and also have some uh, a fellowship. <laughs> I said, if you t- take seven days and do that, then tell me how you feel after seven days. Now, most people won't do it. They won't even give God seven days. They think that they need to go find someone else. You know, my problem's not you. I just need to find someone else. The only problem, every relationship you go to, guess who shows up? You do. And the stupid that was in the first spot, you bring your stupid with you. It's better to get your stupid fixed because, you know, Forrest Gump says stupid is that stupid does, right? So how many of you know God's merciful? But do you see how easy it is in everyday life to say no to putting God first? Because we don't, we're just like the rich young ruler, we go away sad, but the price is too high. There is a price that I want to talk to you about as we close. And the price is not what you sacrifice. The price is not the promises you make to God. The price is the love that he had for you. Most people, when they're in trouble, make promises to God. I would tell you to do the opposite. When you're in trouble, you better find out his promises to you. When you're in trouble, you better find out he loved you long before you ever thought to love him. And when you begin persuaded, you become persuaded to the goodness, the mercy, and the kindness of God, you begin to understand that putting him first is the wisest thing you'll ever do. And Peter finally said to Jesus, after the rich young ruler left, he said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. If you know anything about Peter's story, Jesus said, follow me on his best business day in the history of fishers, fishermen. Caught so many fish, the nets broke. They brought the fish to the shore, and he left the catch on the shore and followed Jesus. I'd at least have sold the fish first. But he didn't put anything first. He left it. And and now he's touched the world through Peter. He said yes. He said yes to him. And I want to ask you this morning, and when Peter said to him, Lord, I've left everything, What about us? We've left it all. And Jesus said, no one has ever left. And he gave a whole list of things that I'll not give you back in this life. And then he said these last words. He said, for those who are first will be last and the last will be first. And what he was trying to do was upend the way we think about life. He said, 
People who put themselves first and their fears first and their, and, and their ways first, they'll end up last. But those who put me first, though others may think you're last, I'll make you first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. New life is going to, this wonderful church is touching people. You're, this coming year, I'm sure you'll bump up over 1,000 people, listen to me, in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. And you're not even in the downtown area. <laughs> Why? Because when God breathes on something, nothing can stop it. Like you've seen what he's done here and will continue to do. What if, what if, what if he breathed on those areas of my life and your life where we've kept ourselves back from him? My, my hope for you today, your takeaway is trust his love and put him first. And let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your great grace that's upon every heart and every life in this room. Lord, I ask you to help people to understand how rich, how deep, and how incredible your love is toward them. Lord, my hope is that we wouldn't be like the rich young ruler and go away sad, but that we would follow you and place you first in our life and realize that on the outskirts of our decision is not just our life being bettered, but even our own family, our generations after us, and the world without Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as our takeaway today is that help us to understand your love. Help us to understand who you are as it empowers us to make the decisions to put you first. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.